Welcome in to the 48 Minutes Podcast on Believe, presented by Bet Online. I'm Ross Geiger, joined alongside Bruce Bernstein of Pure Hoops Media and World B, Michael Freer. This is episode number 58, the Josh Tiven episode, as the Norwich, Connecticut native actively wears number 58 as an NBA referee and has officiated over 800 games throughout his 13 years in the NBA. But before we get to tonight's exciting special guest, I do want to make a quick reminder here to everyone that Bet Online is your number one source for all your betting needs. Get the latest odds, lines, and the latest matchup reports for baseball, boxing, golf, and more. Bet Online continues to be the fastest and easiest way to place your wagers, including live betting and your favorite casino and card games, available to play right from your phone. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and get in on, on the, all the action. Remember to use our promo code BLEAV, that is B-L-E-A-V, for your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet online where the game starts. And tonight, we'll go ahead and start by introducing our special guests, as we're thrilled to be joined by one of the league's best sharpshooters and current forward for the San Antonio Spurs, Doug McDermott. Doug, thanks for joining the show. Thanks for having me, guys. Uh, I've been tuning in, and it's, it's great to be on here with you guys. Uh, you guys talk about some great stuff. Awesome. I, I really appreciate your support, Doug, and glad to hear you are an active listener of our podcast. So, you know, outside of the exciting developments that have taken place in San Antonio uh, this offseason, how has the summer been treating you? It's been really good. You know, uh, just obviously with the, with the news we received on lottery night, um, that was <laughs> definitely a, a great way to kind of start things. And, uh, you know, I've just been trying to keep my game sharp. Uh Golf game first. No, I'm just kidding. But uh, just been in, been in the gym, uh, just trying to get better. And then I was out in Vegas for a little bit with the Spurs, you know, uh, watching Wemby and watching the rest of those young guys. And, you know, we had multiple other young guys out there playing. So it was just uh, overall it's flying by like it always does, but just super excited for the season start. Good stuff there. So you mentioned having been out there in Vegas to see him live. I mean, what were your, your biggest takeaways and what really stood out to you with uh, his game? I mean, I was there for the first two games. So I saw the first one where, you know, he was just a little rusty. You know, I think uh, he took some time off after his, his uh, season in France. And you could tell there was just so much hype in, in that crowd. And it was just almost too much um, to put on the kid um, night one. So night two, he obviously adjusted and uh, the Spurs saw what they needed to see. And shut him down from there. But just overall, honestly, more impressed with him as a person. Um, we got a chance just to briefly talk to him. Um, and, you know, I think he's just a very mature kid for his age. You know, he's been he's been preparing for this his whole life. So it just it's it's cool to to see a kid that mature. And I think he's just ready to hit the ground running, you know, right away. You know, I don't think there's been anyone that's come into the league with so much sort of hoopla probably since LeBron James did, you know, 20 years ago. And you said he's mature. Uh, have you found in your experience that some of the guys who come from Europe, because San Antonio has always been a great spot for international players, uh, do they have a different kind of um, makeup when it comes to dealing with all this attention? Well, they're just, they've had so many, like you said, Bruce. And I think uh, they just, they know, you know, obviously it starts to pop. He just lets everyone be themselves. You know, it doesn't matter where you're from, what your background is. He just allows you to be yourself as a player and as a person. And I think just the San Antonio community, um, it just they embrace you different down there. It's not like a big city like New York or Chicago or L.A. 
you can really just be yourself and, you know, get a nice house and just fit in with the community right away. And I think that's what's helped guys that have come before me and before us uh, be so be so successful there. Hey, Doug, I was curious. You, you know, Victor is coming in with a world of hype coming in from Europe. When you came into the league, you had credentials of uh, college player of the year, All-American. You didn't, you know, while you didn't have the hype, nobody's really had the hype outside of LeBron that Victor has. There was, you know, there was some, uh, you say pressure, but there was some uh, uh, credentials behind your entrance in the league and you had to go through the rookie. Uh, you know, what, what can you give to impress upon Victor as far as, you know, how you had to deal with your rookie season and to help him get through that uh, this first year? Yeah, you know, I think looking back, I would have handled things a lot differently. I think, you know, just being a perfectionist and putting so much pressure on myself, you know, right out the gates and just um, not putting in as much work as I should have, you know, right out of, right out of the gates. I think that's looking back, you know, things I would change. But luckily for me, I, I was given multiple chances um, to be where I'm at today. And there's been a lot of teams that have taken chances on me. And, you know, I'm very grateful for them because I learned things along the way. Um, and I think kids now coming to the league have that uh, mentorship from other pros, you know, other people they played with overseas or, you know, um, people reaching out to them. I think just the resources are there and I'm happy to be a one to all these guys. So I think I can use my experience, not that I'm Victor Wembanyama or any of those guys. I feel like just little things um, I, I feel like I can help them with. And that's just really putting in the work and try and blocking out as much noise as you can. Now, Doug, I know, obviously, we work together in New York. Um, I'm very curious, obviously, just looking at Wemby's size, and obviously you had the chance to play with Porzingis with the Knicks. Um, is there any benefit to have played with a guy that, that has a similar frame size and offensively can stretch the defense out to the three-point line? Like, do you, th- do, you, do you see any type of, like, benefits to having already played with KP and now kind of trans- transitioning that over to playing with Wemby? For sure. Yeah, that's a good point. You know, when I met Wemby for the first time, uh, I was like, dang, this guy's even taller than Porzingis. It's just crazy. <laughs> uh, but I think, obviously, they're similar in different ways. You know, KP like to post up a lot of mid-post stuff, which I'm sure Pop will have Wemby doing as well. But I think he's a guy that can really handle it and facilitate for others, which is something, you know, KP can do, but it's not his, his big strength. So I think – it's just going to be a combination of, you know, mid-post stuff with, you know, trying to feed him on the block as much as we can, but also, you know, letting him initiate offense. So I think that stuff with KP and, you know, Hornacek back in the day is definitely going to help me, though. You know, Doug, so much has been discussed about the Miami Heat culture, which I believe is legit. I really do. Uh, but your current team, the Spurs, had a culture of excellence going on 20 plus years ago. I mean, they've been winning titles since 1999. Can you describe, you know, what the Spurs franchise culture is like and what sustains it even when the team hits a dry spell like it has for the last couple of years? Yeah. I mean, it's just, just the vibe in the facility every day, you know, everyone's on the same page. Um, Obviously a lot of people have been there for a really long time and, you know, they've seen a lot of special things um, take place. And so the standard is very high every day you walk in and uh, they're going to hold you to that. And But they also, um, they, they care about you as human beings um, first. And I think 
that starts at the top with RC and, and Pop and, you know, Brian Wright. Um, you know, when they call you, you know, they're they're asking how you're doing, how your family's doing. It's it's not so much about basketball. And I think when you put those priorities first, um, guys are just going to play so hard for you every night and they're going to want to work hard. They're going to want to go to the gym every day. And that's just kind of the, the vibe that I get when I'm in San Antonio every day. Now, you know, you've played for, I don't know, maybe around eight NBA coaches at this point, you know, during the course of your career. You are the son of a coach. Your dad, Greg, has been uh, an institution at Creighton. You were probably his first recruit, for all I know. I'm not really sure. Yeah. But, but, yeah. You mentioned, but you mentioned Pop. Compare and contrast your father and Pop as a father figure, let's say, for a basketball team. Yeah, that's a great question. You know, obviously very different. Um, you know, I think my dad has probably stolen more things from Coach Popovich than Popovich <laughs> has stolen from him. So uh, that's a big difference right there. But uh, just uh, I feel like the family culture, like I was saying earlier, um, you know, there's days where, you know, we could have a really tough loss in San Antonio and, you know, we'll have an off day just because Pop's like, you know, be around your family, you know, stay at home. And I've kind of just been used to that ever since the college days um, at Creighton. That's just kind of how my dad operated as well. You know, it's bigger than basketball. And, you know, I think I think Creighton has played faster and, you know, very unselfish. And a big part of that is is from those Spurs days because that was kind of growing up. That was just kind of what we watched. It was always like, let's play like the Spurs. Let's make that extra pass. Let's Spurs basketball. Like that would be set in timeout. So. Um, just to, to be able to be in that jersey now, it, just, it kind of feels like it's all come full circle. Hey, Doug, uh, we've heard so much about how Victor is going to benefit by going and being coached by uh, Greg Popovich. And, you know, the imp- he couldn't go to a better situation, you know, because of uh, Coach Popovich. Can you describe what exactly is going to be – what do you envision? How is Popovich going to make – how is Coach Popovich going to make a difference – where I don't want to say other coaches wouldn't, but for lack of a better phrase, where where is he the difference maker in Victor's development? Why is this such a great situation for him? I think it's huge because Pop's going to coach him hard. Um, you know, there's probably a lot of places he could have gone where, you know, maybe they weren't coaching him as hard. And I think Pop is going to keep it real with anyone. He, you know, he doesn't care who you are. And I think that's why uh, Tim Duncan and Manu – Tony Parker were so good for so long because he was able to coach them like he was able to coach Matt Bonner or, you know, someone like that, like Danny Green or just other guys on the floor. So I think that's the biggest difference with um, coming in and being coached by a veteran coach. Um, He's going to coach you hard. He's going to keep it real with you. And I think from everything I've heard, Wemby wants to be coached hard as well. So I think that's just going to be huge for his development and we're obviously going to put the ball in his hands a lot. He's going to be the focal point along with Jeremy Sohan. And I think, I think that's, that's the difference with, with the veteran coach. And speaking of veterans, Doug, of course, uh, this past off season, you guys added some other veterans to kind of help you out in that role of being a leader on the team. You've got Cameron Payne, Reggie Bullock, and CD Usman. Uh, each of the guys not only bring playoff experience, but also have played with a teammate that attracts a ton of, the spotlight. You've always been in the spotlight, being the star player, uh, college basketball player of the year, playing at Madison Square Garden for the Knicks. How big is that veteran presence going to be within that locker room next year as you guys get set for what's about to be a huge 
season full of buzz. I mean, wherever you guys go, I mean, the arenas are going to be packed, waiting to see your, your rookie. And uh, obviously with a young team, that can be kind of hard to navigate at times. Yeah, I'm so excited for that because, you know, the last two years have been tough, you know, not a lot of wins. And, you know, I think we're just all really looking forward to that, kind of having that hype back and be able to play for something. And I think uh, with our experience, like you said, there's a lot of guys that play with some stars and we kind of know what it's like. Um, and we're also not guys that are going to be, you know, doing too much. You know, we're just going to lead by example. You know, that's yeah. that's my main thing. You know, I, I I can talk all I want, but, you know, I think my main thing is trying to be a leader, you know, just by working hard and, and being there on time every day for these guys. And I think that's that's kind of going to be my approach. And I haven't met all the new guys, all the new vets we signed, but I'm sure we're going to have a meeting at some point on how we're going to, you know, kind of manage this locker room and make sure we're all we're all together. I'd like to ask you about a situation that not a, well, some players have been, uh, you know, exposed to, but you definitely had. This happened to you twice. You were traded two consecutive years during a season, okay? Um, 2016 and 17, I think. Both of those seasons, you were traded in the middle of the season. What are the special challenges that you faced or that a player faces when you have to change teams during a season? Yeah, there's a lot more than just the basketball piece. You know, you're you're getting on a flight like the night before – the game with your new team and you have to, you know, I, I, one year I was in Toronto, I think when I was with the Knicks with, with Ross, uh, we had a game that day against Toronto and I took a nap on shoot around day, you know, after shoot around and just woke up to a, a call from Mark Barbosey, my agent saying you're, you're, you've been traded to, to Dallas. And I thought I was going to like maybe have a few days off and, you know, uh, get there, get get learn the system a little bit, and next thing you know, I'm on a plane from Toronto to New York to pack my bags. The next day, I fly to Dallas and play in a game that night. So it's it's crazy. You're living out of hotel room, um, you know, dealing with moving companies. You know, you're renting Airbnbs. It just it's a whole lot more that goes into it than just basketball. I actually remember that uh, time in your life, Doug, because uh, as you may remember, uh, during All Star Weekend. I actually had a flight from New York that connected through Dallas and we actually shared the flight from Dallas to Phoenix where you yeah. were coming to, to get away. And I was like, Doug, yeah. how's it going? I haven't seen you in a few weeks. And you're like, man, it's been a whirlwind in my life. Just trying to get everything settled. I still like, you know, wasn't funny at the time, but it's now kind of funny to kind of look back on that time. And it what really are the, is the odds it, of that. And then I uh, just, I don't wish that on anyone, you know, having to go through all that. I mean, it's cool, obviously, being in the NBA, so I can't complain, but it is a, it's a lot um, to handle. Now, going back to Victor one last time here, especially with what we saw in Summer League, you know, one of the things that really kind of surprised me about his game is how self, selfless as a, of a passer he is. I thought he did a great job kind of, you know, feeding it to his teammates, not forcing things, and uh, understanding he's going to attract a, a lot of attention. Um when he has the ball in his hands, that's obviously going to translate over immediately, even at the NBA level. Um, you know, what I wanted to, to kind of, you know, get your thoughts on is the fact that like, not only are you a shooter, but you're one of the best backdoor cutters in the league. I think that surprises a lot of people until they actually start watching your film and getting to see you play a lot. How, how do you think you'll benefit, not just from him spacing the floor for you and get, getting you free in spots, but knowing like if you cut, he's probably going to find you. 
Yeah, I mean, that's I take pride in that. You know, I feel like my strength is definitely shooting, but, you know, I feel like I can catch people off guard a lot with that backdoor cut. And you saw that with Victor uh, right off the bat. He's willing to make that pass. And he's going to draw so much attention, like you said, um, in the middle of the paint. And that's where I feel like I can do some damage, kind of sneaking in there and, and get some easy ones. So uh, that's the way the Spurs play. We He gives us so much freedom just to move without the ball. And and that's why it's it's so exciting playing there because you really can't make a mistake as long as you're doing an unselfish thing. Yeah, and that you know, to be honest, I feel like you know we haven't talked about the other young talented talented players you guys have on your roster. You know, of course, obviously the focal point is Victor because he is such a mystery and a marvel as far as his size and stuff. But Jeremy Shohan, he was a guy that had a very promising rookie year in the NBA. Um, can you kind of describe who he is as like a person, as a teammate? He obviously seems to have some personality with the, the different hair colors and, uh, you know, has a lot of uh, extracurricular things going on with with, with, his, with his swagger there. So can you talk about who he is as a person and then what do you see for him moving forward into next year as a player? Yeah, I just I really enjoy playing with him. He's uh, he's one of my favorite you know rookies that I've had um, throughout these years. He just uh, he has so much confidence in himself. And I think you, you see that with his outfits and his hair and uh, it, it translates to the court, you know, um, people kind of dare him to shoot out there and he's not scared. You know, he'll go up to the free throw line and shoot with one arm. And uh, <laughs> it just, it's, it's fun to be around him, man. Cause you just, he uh, doesn't care about too much. Doesn't care what people think about him. And it kind of, it's kind of, uh, you know, everyone on the team kind of looks, looks at him and just like, what is this guy doing? Even, even pop is like, just laugh sometimes and uh, you don't see that much. Uh, so just, it's cool. It's contagious. And I think guys play loose when they're on the floor with him because they know he's going to find you. He's unselfish. He kind of, kind of reminds me a little bit of Ben Simmons, you know, in Philly um, where he's a big point guard. Uh, he can get to anywhere he wants. And I think he is just only going to get better, um, especially under the, the Spurs. You know, uh, Doug, since Russ brought up Jeremy Soan's hair, I need to ask you, um, are you going to be talking to Reggie Bullock about who his stylist is? Yeah, <laughs> we got some wild <laughs> we got some wild hairdos this year, and uh, I'm going to try and stay out of it. You know, we got, <laughs> we, got, we, got, we got Zach Collins with the slick back hair, and, you know, we got all kinds of stuff. So uh, I'm going to – I think me and Jeremy had a bet, actually, on the Creighton-Baylor game, but he never came through. He, he said he would dye his hair. Uh, blue and I said I would dye my hair uh, green if if we lost and Steve still hasn't done that so maybe I'll have to I'll have to let him know next year. Now let's not forget Cameron Payne is also a personality, um, so you're adding another guy into the mix there that should be a lot of fun uh, to yes. have in your in your locker room. So um, another question that I had for you, of course, as we've been talking about teammates, is of course you you were drafted by the Bulls and you know you played alongside Jimmy Butler. I went to Marquette. I was on campus with Jimmy throughout his entire time there. I never really thought he'd turn into the player that he is today. Uh, wanted to kind of get your thoughts on on some of the glimpses you saw back then in Chicago, and then just kind of reflecting back on this impressive postseason run that he went on with the Heat. Was that any surprise to you at all, just knowing who he is? Not at all. I mean, he uh, he kind of set the tone for me early on. You know, he was such a hard worker. And he, uh, he was a great vet to me. You know, he, um, 
he would invite me to work out with him, you know, at like 5 a.m. in the off season. He talked, he took me to Cabo with him, to San Diego with him. And, you know, he kind of took me under his wing. And I really appreciate Jimmy for that. And um, it kind of just taught me how hard I need to work. And that's why I'm not surprised with anything he does, you know, anymore, because I just know he truly does outwork everyone. Um, you know, I, I don't think there's a harder working guy in the league. So, I think uh, the playoffs were a reflection of that. And uh, I was pulling for him. Obviously, I wanted him to win, but they came up short. But I won't be surprised if he's back there next year, you know, because he's, you know, he's working right now as we speak. I wanted to ask you about another one of your teammates uh, on the Bulls back in the day. Uh, when you began, I believe, your third season there, Rajon Rondo uh, became your teammate. Um, he always seemed to be very protective of his younger teammates. We know that his hoop IQ is considered to be off the charts. So do you feel that Rajan has the potential to be a successful NBA coach if he chooses to go that route? Yeah, hundred um, percent. Out of anyone I played with, he's probably like number one on my list. So I'm glad you said that because he was another great vet for me. Um, you know, he would sometimes just say some crazy stuff out on the court. He knew, he knew like the team's next three play calls. Like this is just like a game 47, you know, uh, in, in Cleveland or something. And he would, he would know their plays. He would know what art, what plays of ours are going to work against them. And he would call them before, you know, we saw him. So I've always had so much respect for him and, uh, it won't surprise me when he's a good, a, a great coach. Cause, uh, you know, sometimes coaches had to tell him to shut up because, you know, like he knew, he knew like everything going on and we weren't ready to teach that yet in training camp. And he was already on like, you know, day five. So he, uh, he was great and uh, a joy to play with. Hey Doug, you mentioned uh, how you struggled your rookie year and, you know, ever since then you've been, you know, almost a 42% shooter from three point range. You've been, you know, basically hovered around very consistent throughout your career since that rookie year. I'm just curious, is there one thing that you can, was there anything that somebody taught you or was it, what was the biggest thing to help you go from that rookie season to, you know, the second season and beyond being the kind of shooter and consistent uh, outside threat that you became? Honestly, um, I think it was literally the rookie year that taught me, everything you know i looking back i'm just so happy uh that it actually happened the way it did because um, i was coming off such a great college career and you know i kind of got humbled there you know the first year and i think a lot of guys would have given up but in my dna i just wanted to keep working and uh, i never worked harder um, than i did that summer and it just it propelled everything from there and uh i i at the time, I hated tips and he probably knows that and now i love the guy because he taught me how to be a pro and you know, I'll always, you know, cherish that time because it was tough not being able to play and seeing all these guys in your class do well. And, um, but I think it's helped me have a longer career. Um, so I'll always, you know, appreciate tips for that. Now, World B brought up your uh, three-point shooting percentage, how consistent it's been uh, for quite some time now. I believe you're going into your 10th NBA season this year. Uh, it's got to feel like it's flying by. Correct me if I'm wrong, but you've never been asked to participate in a three-point shootout, have you? I I was I was about to do it um, in Indianapolis that year, and then the bubble or the the pandemic uh, hit because yeah. uh, I was on the Pacers at the time, so I would have been able to do it in the in the home city. Um, but unfortunately, I wasn't able to do it because it got delayed, and then um, by the time I just wasn't able to do it that year. But no, I'm still waiting on that next invite, so. 
uh, we'll have to start a campa- campaign next year, um, and, and hopefully I can get into it. They're so afraid. You're just, uh, they're afraid. They're afraid <laughs> to put you in that contest. Man. They know you're going to make them look bad. You're going to go. You're going to go all Tim Legler on them. Yeah, exactly, exactly. But I think I'll get there some point. Um, you know, now that you know, we'll be in the spotlight a little more this year. So hopefully that'll help. Yeah, and speaking of that spotlight, I mean, of course, uh, you know, being like I mentioned, a a ten year veteran coming up this year. Uh, is there any particular guys on the team, even last year, that you kind of uh, put your arm around or helped out, kind of like Jimmy Butler did for you back in the day? I try to help out with Jeremy as much as I can. Um, you know, yeah. we've we've got along very well. And, you know, he's obviously working on his jump shot, so I try and help him with things uh, mentally and just trying to be there for him if he has any questions. You know, I, I never want to overdo it um, because mm-hmm. I know they have, everyone has a lot of people in their ear, so – I'm always there for for anyone, um, but I don't. I never want to overdo it because I know that this league is tough, and you you have so many people in your ear, and you know you want to be so good. So I'm always there, and you know Trey Jones has been a guy I've gotten really close with, um, you know, this last couple of years, and Kelvin, me and him sit by each other on the plane. So I, I try to be there for all these guys, and uh, you know I think they're all going to have great careers. You know, a lot of I, I told you before we started several of. Former Spurs happen to be very good longtime friends of mine. And all of them, uh, well, I'm not sure about Bruce Bowen, but certainly Avery and Sean Elliott said that they got into drinking red wine because of Pop. Pop's big into red wine. He's got a really nice uh, Pinot Noir in his vineyard up in Oregon, A to Z, you know, product placement, whatever. So are you a red wine drinker or has Pop tried to steer you into that particular beverage? Oh yes, I've uh, I've really gotten into it, and now adding Brett Brown to the mix um, on staff has has made it even worse. So uh, <laughs> it's a uh, it's a habit now on the road. You know, you got to be ready to to drink, and uh, you know they make it so much fun with the team dinners, um, and you know they bring their own wine on the road, and it's just cool to talk to these guys about that stuff because they're so passionate. You know, I think they. Uh, they've been they've been drinking it forever, and I think a lot of us always have questions about wine, what we should get, and they always tell us the right one to get when we go to the store. So it, it's 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 amazing. Uh, Bruce Bowen. Now I only see him on the golf course, and you know he's he's not drinking wine anymore. I'm sure, but uh, he's uh, he's a great guy, like you said. And Sean Elliott, Avery, they're all just unbelievable human beings. I, I, I'm so blessed to have been able to spend years working with those guys. You know, I'm a Boston Celtics fan, full disclosure, but my second favorite team really always has been the Spurs, just out of respect, you know, to, to, to just the system, the success, and just the kind of people that come through that system. Even when guys leave San Antonio and go on to other teams, they carry that with them. Derek White's a really good example of that. He came out of San Antonio, carried that. So it's almost like, People who play for that team seem to become like culture carriers that make their next teams better as a result of that pedigree. For sure. Yeah, it all starts, you know, with the Spurs. Um, you know, I, I obviously wasn't drafted by them. It took me a while to get to them. Uh, but everything you said is true. You know, all those guys that I've played with throughout my career that have come from San Antonio are just the ultimate pros, the ultimate unselfish guys. And, uh, you know, I'm I'm salty you guys got D White because he, he was such a good friend and you know, gosh, he's he's an amazing player. And I think, you know, the Celtics, he's gonna have a huge year, obviously. And 
just wait for his new hairdo. I saw him at a wedding this summer, and he 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 shaved it off. So he's he's ready. He's ready to roll. He looks like Ross now. Yeah, he yeah. does. Yeah. He's trying to copy me. I see. Though. Yeah. Well, Doug, we really do appreciate your time here tonight. One last question that I have for you, outside of the obvious, with your new teammate and kind of getting rolling. What are you most looking forward to next season? Uh, is there any personal goals that you have? or uh, something that you're hoping to to make a team goal this year? I'm looking forward to a lot of red wine, that's for sure, as we <laughs> talked about. Uh, but I, I I just really want to make the playoffs, and, uh, you know, I think that's our goal. And, and, you know, I think everyone on this team is just is ready to win, and we, we, got, we got the guy we wanted, and um, I think he's going to be special. And I think people got to be patient with him, but I think, I think we're going to be a competitive team. I think we can surprise some people, and – uh, I'm just really excited to get to work. And, uh, you know, I think you mentioned earlier, this is the Josh Tibbin episode and I uh, yeah. just want to give him a shout out because I love Josh and uh, I'm guessing he's on a golf course somewhere right now too. <laughs> yeah. We, we name every episode, uh, the episode number, we honor a player. And uh, unfortunately when you get to number 58, it, there's really no NBA players that ever worn the jersey number. So I've now switched over to some NBA referees to kind of give them some love. Because, of course, as you just said, you know, he's someone that you you respect and like. And uh, I think it's important for you know basketball fans uh, around the world to know that they're people, too. And I think sometimes we lose sight of that watching the game on a night to night basis. So it's been kind of fun introducing some of the referees into our show as well. I love that. I love that. He's, he deserves credit. And, uh, you know, I think uh, he's very worthy to have an episode named after him. Awesome. Well, I'm glad it, you happened to stop by during the Josh Tibbin episode. And uh, once again, Doug, uh, we want to thank you for being on the show thank here you. tonight. And uh, we wish you all the best next season. And I know most certainly we'll all be watching your team play. It's going to be a lot I of fun. I appreciate it, guys. Anytime, anytime you need me, I'm here. So, uh, I'll continue to watch, and uh, you know it's it's great chatting with you guys. Awesome! All right, Thanks, Doug. Thank, thank you. Right, thank you. See All you guys. Right, and, with, and with that, we've reached our halftime buzzer, and we'll take a quick break. Oh, after that extended delay, uh, actually, it's just a few seconds, but uh, we really, we really thank, uh, we really thank Doug. But listen, before we get started into the second half of the show, our partner Ross is lives in Phoenix, Arizona, or yep. in the Phoenix Metro Phoenix area. I'm in Phoenix. Okay, so Phoenix, Arizona, is kind of like you know seemingly at the gates of hell these days because of you know 20 <laughs> straight days of temperatures that are 110 degrees. It's a huge news story. And here on 48 Minutes, we like to share a little bit of our own lives with people so that you all who listen kind of know us a little bit. So I wanted Russ to just kind of tell you and us what it's like right now, kind of trying to live a normal life in a place that's anything but normal. What's it like right now in Phoenix, Ross? Well, currently it's 7.05 p.m. It's still 107 outside. Um, I can tell you, you definitely have to make some life adjustments during the summer times, especially a record-breaking summer like this one is right now. Um, you know, you, you go from uh, walking your dog uh, at a normal time to about two hours earlier than you typically would just because the pavement would be too hot on their paws. Um, so 
anything from walking your dog to the amount of time, of course, you spend outside. I mean, going outside to grill this summer. I know that's a huge thing around uh, the Midwest and East Coast during the summertime is, you know, cookouts. Well, you're not doing many cookouts because you're already cooking if you walk outside. So to fire up the grill to 400 degrees on top of the 110 that it already is just isn't a lot of fun. And honestly, would make it quite hard to even kind of time uh, grilling, you know, your meats. I mean, it's going to be that much quicker. So, um, you know, in all serious though, it, it has been a concerning summer. Um, you know, we, we've heard a ton about uh, some elder, elderly people that fall and have to go to the hospital uh, because they've burned their skin on, on, on the concrete outside because it is so hot. Um, we have a lot of pets that uh, get dehydrated and some that are left outside too long and end up escaping and then get lost out there. And obviously uh, just a lot of bad things can happen when they're overexposed to uh, the sun, just like any other human would be. So, um, you know, just trying to make it through, obviously I'm fortunate enough to have a, a, a swimming pool. So it's been nice to kind of go outside at night and uh, swim for a little bit. Uh, it does not boil, but it is my wife's favorite temperature right now because it is absolutely bath water. If you turned on the 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 warm water in your bath and let it sit there for probably about the first thirty seconds, that's the temperature of my uh, my pool right now, which is pretty unreal. But it still feels good because it's that it's that hot outside, um, and so it's nice to kind of get some exercise, move the arms, legs, do some laps. Uh, that way, because you're definitely not running or or doing much walking outside. So uh, appreciate you asking, Bruce. Obviously, uh, you know, thinking about all the people here in Phoenix, uh, hopefully uh, they're staying cool, staying hydrated, and uh, we'll definitely make it through as we always do out here. And uh, with that, let's go ahead and get to our second half here. I thought it'd be fun to play some off-season winners and losers. So um, we're all going to take a crack at uh, one team we think is a winner. And one team that we think is a loser. But let's go ahead and start off with our winners. And Bruce, I'll start with you. Who did you pick as a winner of the offseason? In my mind, uh, a clear winner, not the clear winner, but a clear winner, uh, the Houston Rockets. Look at what what yeah. they've done. They have a new head coach, Ime Udoka. He's going to be great with this young roster. He's going to hold them accountable. He's going to make them play defense. And that's the foundation for any winning team is a team that defends. They signed Fred Van Vliet for outside shooting and leadership, even though World B will tell you what a brutal year Van Vliet had shooting the three last season. Still, he's a threat and he will let it go. So, you know, that's something that uh, and his leadership in practice on the team plane, on the team bus, along with Udoka is going to make a big difference. They signed Dylan Brooks, kind of the bad boy of the league these days. What do they get with Dylan Brooks? They get toughness. They get defense. They get a little bit of attitude. And I'm sure he's going to mix it up with his young teammates in practice, probably toughen them up a little bit, throw a few bows, show them what it's going to be like when they have to play against the real big boys. They picked up 6'11 Jock Lonsdale for some front court depth to work behind, you know, uh, Shen Goon and their bigs. They signed Jeff Green from the Denver Nuggets, veteran leader. Energy off the bench, a, a physical marvel, really, at the age of 36. He's got so much bounce and a, and a world of information and experience. Again, a great mentor for some of the young guys on their team, like Amen Thompson and Cam Whitmore, two studs that they got in the first round. We'll see how much you know burn they get in the early going, 
But I think as the season goes on, you know, these guys are going to get a chance to play. And just for no good reason at all, they added Aaron Holiday uh, for point guard depth behind Kevin Porter Jr. So I think that's a team that has made a lot of great moves, and I would consider them to be, if not the winner, a winner during the offseason so far. I think that's well said, Bruce. Couldn't agree more with you there. They have done everything right this offseason as far as uh, making a coaching change, bringing uh, Ime Odoka and obviously some big veterans and also uh, were one of the winners on draft night. They got two projected top 10 picks uh, in the first round. So uh, quite amazing. And then they tapped that off with a uh, uh, trip to the Summer League Finals as well. So World B, what do you have uh, as your team for a winner this offseason? Well, like Bruce, uh, I wouldn't say this team is the winner of all teams in the offseason. So, but hear me out. We picked on them at length since February when they made this ridiculous trade that we all said was, you know, except for me, uh, (laughs) that was a really bad trade. But I put the Mavericks as a winner this offseason. So hear me out. Hear me out here. Yeah, the whole Kyrie thing is a mess. It was a mess from the beginning, and it looked bad at the end when they actually sat him and sat this team to try and get a hold of that 10th pick and not have to give it to the Knicks. And then they go out and they sign him for about 40 mil a year. So on the surface, it doesn't look like – it looks like it's a just a zoo there in Dallas. But I don't think it really is. And for starters, the deal for Kyrie is just three years. So it's not five or six years for a guy who's going to be about 34 or so when the deal runs out. And the fact is, when he was on the court, the Mavericks are at their most efficient offensively. There was about 121 points per 100 possessions, which is really impressive for uh, any team. So clearly, with the t- and with with uh, Kyrie and Luca on the court together, I think they were just five and eleven when they both played. But offensively, that team was a juggernaut. They were about 119 points per 100 possessions. So the offense, and now you're going to get them for a full season. 16 games probably isn't a fair value barometer for the future of a team, but the offense was clicking from the start. So I don't think it's a, uh, has to be as bad as it appears. And then you throw in the fact that, you know, they got that number 10 pick and they trade it and got two first rounders out of it. Two guys who are defensive minded, the, the one of them being the center from Duke uh, lively, I believe. And, yep. you know, they're going to help these, you know, I don't know how productive they're going to be, but their defensive reputation. So they're going to have a shot there. You know, they also were uh, fiscal. You know, it doesn't sound like they're fiscal friendly when they give Kyrie 40 mil a year, but they did stay under the luxury tax. They were able to get Davis Bertan's contract off the books, and they did that and got a trade exception out of it. So, what they do, they go and get Rashawn Holmes, who people may remember a few years I like ago, that was a quality player yeah. with the Kings. He flopped last year. He didn't, you know, play about half the games and only averaged about three points a game. But He's a great pick-and-roll guy for a couple of players who like to pick-and-roll, especially yep. Luca, who loves to operate under that. So there's there's another uh, you know potential off-season pickup. And then you know, Bruce's guy, Grant Williams, comes over in a sign-and-trade. Now, he could end up being a number three guy on this team that really doesn't have one at the moment. If you look at their roster, they don't have a clear-cut number three guy behind Luca and Kyrie. So – you, you got all these guys. Yeah, they're not competing for a championship, but 
I think they're a lot better off than they were when the season ended. Yeah, I mean, I think you raised some good points there, Will B. Um, I, I, I'm, I'm glad that you took them and uh, kind of made a case for them because I do think it's important to uh, keep in mind as much as we were down on them last year and even this summer with the Kyrie signing, I think the other things that they did, as you mentioned, Lively, Grant Williams, uh, Rashawn Holmes, I think it's going to be a huge fit there. I mean, he was kind of just buried on that bench for Mike Brown last year in Sacramento, and I think he still has a lot to offer. Um, yeah, I, I couldn't agree with you more. I think they they obviously um, had a better summer than a lot of people kind of uh, are giving them credit for. So It just gets lost in the whole Kyrie mess. You know, yeah. the whole situation, it looks like it's a dysfunctional franchise. Mark Cuban, for all the stuff we want to talk about, he makes all the headlines. He's not really a dysfunctional owner. He doesn't, he's he's hardly, he'll never be confused with James Dolan when it comes to, uh, you know, head cases as an owner. He doesn't, you know, he's obviously, we came into the league as one of those guys, but he's obviously cool, calmed down over the years and he's won a title. He's got two trips to the finals, won a title. He's, he's, you know, he, he's not a head case of an owner. So it's not as bad as I think that's the reason I, put them in my winter column because they're not as bad as people make them out to be. And I think they have a case to really be a lot better than people think. For sure. As for my uh, winner, it's a little bit more obvious here. I mean, Bruce, you asked me about Phoenix earlier. I'm going to tell you about Phoenix right now as well, because I have them uh, a winner of this uh, off season, the Phoenix Suns. And I'll be the first to tell you, and I'll go on record and say it. I hated the Bradley Beal deal. I mean, I could be proven Wrong on this, so he could obviously make me look foolish by saying that. But uh, where the Suns won me over was actually in free agency when they rounded out their bench with Eric Gordon, re-signing Damian Lee, picking up K- uh, Keita Bates-Jop, Chemezi Metu, a king that I talked about much of last season as a mm-hmm. kind of a dark horse off the bench guy. Drew Eubanks from uh, they took him from uh, the Portland Trailblazers, another guy that came from the San Antonio Spurs originally. And then, uh, obviously, most recently, they just picked up Bull Bull, who I think is uh, a guy that can certainly add some length, versatility, and uh, someone I'm sure will be uh, saw some glimmers of hope in as an Orlando Magic fan. And you know, I would I would be foolish to forget this guy, Bruce. They also picked up Utah the Shooter Wananabe, one of the best three point shooters in the NBA NBA last season. Certainly right up there with Doug McDermott as far as percentages are concerned. And uh, then we get to their coaching staff and, uh, you know, hopefully, and I, I stress hopefully here, they'll get some addition by subtraction by keeping DeAndre Ayton and dumping Monty Williams, who clearly, clearly wasn't an Ayton supporter, wasn't going to help him grow into his game. And uh, so I, I'm still very unsold on, you know, how the Suns will go ahead and figure all this out without a traditional point guard on the roster. But the star talent is in order. And I think Frank Vogel as the new head coach was a great hire. He has plenty of weapons to be creative with and, you know, he can turn to off that Phoenix bench. And also one other thing I'd like to mention here, their 52nd overall pick to Mani Kamara looks to be an, like an absolute steal in the draft as he had a fantastic summer league. And it could be a complimentary piece to the rotation as soon as this year. Uh, Kumara is already 23 years old, so he's a well-polished college player. So keep an eye on the Phoenix Suns this year. Again, I'm sure we'll be talking about them a lot throughout the start of next season. Um, But uh, they should be a lot of fun to watch with all the changes that they have made. Now, Bruce, 
Let's get to the bad part here, the losers. Who do you have as your loser of the offseason? The Atlanta Hawks. <laughs> they basically gave away John Collins, who started at the four since his second season, averaging almost 16 and eight over the course of his career. And he's still just 25 years old. Okay. I have no idea how they think that letting that guy go is going to make this team better. Yeah, he struggled last season. He was under 30% from threes. But I think all the constant talk about, are they going to trade him? Are they going to trade? I mean, some of that stuff has to affect a guy. I mean, because all John Collins ever did was be a really good guy, a good teammate, great with the media, very good, you know, good finisher, good alley-oop finisher, good on the pick and roll. I expect him to do really well in Utah, and I think they're going to live to regret the fact that they gave up on that guy because when he gets to Utah and he gets unleashed out there, you're going to you're gonna see John Collins return to his form. Uh, but, you know, hey, in return, they got fellow Believe podcaster Rudy Gay yeah. and a 2026 second-round pick. Gay, unfortunately, was then sent to OKC and he was waived. So they really got nothing for John Collins except for that 2026 second round pick. As I mentioned when I was talking about the Rockets, they let Aaron Holiday walk and he signed with Houston. But here's the good news. They did draft the next Kobe. Kobe <laughs> Bufkin <laughs> with the number 15 pick. He'll provide some depth for DeJounte Murray and for Trey Young in the backcourt. Uh, but uh, you know. Um, yeah, we'll see if the next Kobe is any good. Yeah, on a brighter note for the Hawks, I mean, just to kind of keep, spin this into a positive, congrats to uh, Trey Young, who got married this past weekend. So we're going to end on a good note here for the Atlanta Hawks, but I tend to agree with you there, Bruce. I, I was not a fan of their offseason. World B, who do you have? Uh, I picked the 76ers as my loser of the offseason, and it they have room to, they have time to get off my list there because <laughs> um, it's just all the turmoil that's going on with this franchise. Since you know, we forget for a moment, they were, they had the third best record in the league this past year. Yeah. They, they had, they were, I've mentioned this throughout uh, all our podcast episodes. They were one of three teams to be top 10 in offensive and defensive efficiency, along with the Cleveland Cavaliers and the Celtics. And then it's the 76ers. I mean, they had that good of a season. And you would never know it by everything that's gone on since they got eliminated in the playoffs by the Celtics. Lost a coach, Doc Rivers, who only gave them their best season since 2001 when they went to the finals. That's 23 years. That's what that's what having the best season gets you is showing the door. Uh, and then, you know, James Harden only led the league in assists. He wants out. Joel MD goes on and wins the MVP. <laughs> He's putting everybody in a panic mode in Philly because he may want out if Philly can't produce a winning uh, franchise, they bring in Nick nurse. That's, you know, that's great having a championship caliber coach there, but now you, the knock on him is, well, since Kyrie left, he got one season out of Kyrie and he got a title out of it. What if he's, what have he's done since then? He's been a quality coach, but he's got, hasn't gotten to make closer to a title than doc rivers has. So I don't necessarily, you know, say it was a bad move to get doc, uh, let doc go, but, you know, we're talking about a team that was so good last year and it had legitimate championship aspirations. And now they're coming into this season at the end of July. And it just feels like there is total disarray, even though they still have Harden, they still have MD, and maybe they start the season with those guys. But it's just going to be a zoo 
if especially if those guys are still on the team at training camp, it's just going to be a zoo of a training camp to follow this team when it doesn't seem like anybody's happy. Yeah, no, I totally agree with you there. And we thought we were behind this in Philly once they got rid of uh, Ben Simmons. But now, of course, the James Harden stuff pops up. And uh, it's unfortunate. I feel like this team and this franchise just continues to have a lot of distractions around it. And it's not always about the basketball, which you pointed out. So uh, great points there. As for my loser, I'm going with the Chicago Bulls. Now, listen, I like Javon Carter and Torrey Craig. I'm actually a fan of both of them. But I'm a fan of both of them on a contending team. All this team is contending for is a chance to get bounced in the first round of next year's playoffs. <laughs> the Bulls are essentially running things back with the same group, having resigned Nikola Vucevic and Ayu Dusumu, while also keeping Zach Levine along with DeMar DeRozan. Sure, the Bucks decided to do the same, resigning Chris Middleton and Brooke Lopez, but Milwaukee won a lead leading 58 games last season. The Bulls didn't even crack 500 last season. Meanwhile, if the Bulls look to their left, the Indiana Pacers are younger and got a lot better this offseason. They look to their right, the Detroit Pistons are younger and got better and also got a hell of a coach in Monty Williams who can definitely kind of upstart this group to get going and be competitive as soon as next season. So things are not looking too good in Chicago, if you ask me, and uh, honestly did not really understand much of their offseason, just deciding, you know what, we're going to re-sign everybody to make sure we go uh, 40 and 42 again this season. doesn't seem like a, a really good recipe for success. I absolutely agree with that, by the way. I, I totally Stuck in second gear. I, absolutely. Yep. So with that – Let's go ahead and get into our final thoughts here. And Bruce, I'll let you lead us off. Thanks, Ross and World B. You know, Kemba Walker has always been a player I've admired. After leading UConn to the NCAA championship in 2011, he was selected number nine overall by Charlotte in the 2011 draft. After eight healthy and productive seasons in Charlotte, he was traded to the Celtics, where he signed a max deal and played well but then started suffering multiple knee injuries, and his career headed south from there. He then bounced around, heading to OKC, where he never actually even suited up, then to the Knicks, then to the Pistons, where he also never suited up, and then to the Mavs, where he played briefly last season before being released in January. When Kemba was at his best, he played the game with a joy and enthusiasm that made him a fan favorite due to his small size and huge production. Now at the age of 33, the four-time All-Star has signed a one-year deal to play for AS Monaco in the EuroLeague. He didn't do it because he needed the money. He's earned over $160 million in his NBA career. He did it because he loves the game and he feels that he can still ball. Well, let's hope Kemba is healthy and productive and he is able to delight fans in Europe the way he did during his NBA career. Good luck, Kemba. Yeah, good luck to Kemba Walker. Obviously, that's a heck of a signing overseas, and uh, I'm sure he'll attract a lot of fans to those games, and hopefully he still has a, enough left in the tank to go ahead and uh, impress them as well. World B? Thank you, Ross. By the way, if I had an all-time starting five of players that I just enjoy watching play throughout my NBA fandom, which goes about 40-something years, I don't know what it would be, but Kemba Walker would be on it. So I echo Bruce's thoughts on that uh actually sticking with the hornets theme this past weekend 
saw the Charlotte Hornets officially get new ownership as Michael Jordan's 13-year run as head beekeeper came to an end. <laughs> headed by Rick Schnell and Gabe Pluck and were approved by 29-1 to vote by the NBA Board of Governors with the Knicks' James Dolan, the alone no vote. I mean, anything to get your name in the news, right? <laughs> so the tenure of Michael Jordan as an NBA owner, he still has a, uh, as a majority owner, he still has a minority stake in the franchise. We've seen in most circles as a failure with just three winning seasons and two playoff appearances, both first-round losses, and that perception is understandable. But a couple of things to consider when evaluating Jordan's time as a majority owner. He got rid of the silly Bobcats name and returned to franchise to his more recognizable name, nickname, the Hornets, along with the return to their traditional colors that they came in with in uh, the 80s. And in addition, as someone who covered this team for a season and remains a strong follower of them since uh, even after I moved out of the Charlotte area a few years ago, I can tell you that going to a Hornets game at the Spectrum Center was really a good family, family-friendly time. Now, wins and losses may be how you're judged as a franchise, and that's fine. But providing a good atmosphere for fans counts for something with me. And in the end, Jordan, who reportedly paid less than $300 million for the franchise in 2010, was able to sell the team for approximately $3 billion. Being a competitor that he was during his playing days, there's no doubt that Jordan's desire and determination to see his Hornets compete for a championship or at very least a deep playoff run was first and foremost, but coming away with billions from a mediocre franchise sure sounds like a win to me too. Absolutely. What well said there will be and a couple tidbits on that sale as well. Um, country singer, Eric church is part of uh, the new ownership group and also rapper Jay Cole. And uh, you mentioned uh, James Dolan. So I'm sure you guys have seen that spear in Las Vegas, right? By now you've seen a photo of it. I guess he's a big part of that that group that put that thing together. So uh, he's staying relevant in Las Vegas as well. As uh, That well, is he quite relevant in Madison Square Garden. <laughs> With that, let me just get to my final thought here before we get World B going here tonight. Um, <laughs> my final thoughts on Mike Conley, who was recently honored with this year's Joe Dumars Trophy for winning the NBA's Sportsmanship Award which was designed to honor a player who best represents the ideals of sportsmanship on the court. I could bore you with how the process works to win the award, but I'd rather utilize my time to point out two things. One, this is Conley's fourth time winning the award, which is the most in league history. But most importantly, let me remind you that despite being a 16-year veteran in the NBA and averaging over 31 minutes per contest, throughout his career. Conley has never picked up a technical foul. Now, I don't care how good of a guy you are. This is just absolutely nuts and beyond impressive. That's before we factor into things that Conley has also played in 78 playoff games in which he holds a 37 and 41 record, not even above 500. And he didn't make his first all-star game appearance until 2021, which is the longest career wait for a first-time all-star ever. And oh, by the way, he's earned over 276 million off contracts over the course of his career. So he surely got some money to burn. When you add up all the factors, things not, have not always gone his way uh, with the below 500 playoff record, obviously not making all star teams. And it just doesn't even seem to make any sense. But 
you know, congrats to Mike Conley. He certainly de- deserves the award for sportsmanship and uh, beyond impressed with his uh, professional integrity during the good times and bad in the NBA. And I certainly will bet against any NBA player playing 16 years in the league and not picking up a technical foul. I will go ahead and take that bet right now. What about you guys? Hey, listen, his his father might have actually been a better athlete than he. His dad, Mike Conley Sr., was the gold medalist at the 1992 Barcelona Olympics in the triple jump, okay? Wow. Um, I actually had a chance to meet him because I was working that Olympics for NBC back in 92, and uh, I actually met him. His dad, uh, Mike Sr., uh, became a lawyer and actually was Mike's agent. So, uh, you know, the apple didn't fall too far from the tree there. I mean, what a great, great, you know, family. Absolutely. And with that, that will do it for this edition of the 48 Minutes Podcast on Believe, presented by Bet Online. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll be back with you next week to be sure you're up to date in 48 on all things around the association. Take care, everyone.